said unto them, They need not depart, give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up out of the put took up of the fragments that remained twelve baskets full, and they had eaten there had eaten where about five thousand men, beside women and children. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he went, while he sent the multitudes. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time we have together in your house today. I pray you'd help our pastor to preach this word today with authority and with power and with liberty. In the name of Jesus, and I pray, God, your word says your word will not return void. Let it not return void this morning. We believe in your word in Jesus' name. Thank you, Brother Zach. It's good to see everybody in the house of the Lord. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Would you do that? Hallelujah. You may be seated this morning. Before I get into the message, I just want to make a couple of comments. One of the things I want to do, I want to celebrate even again this morning of what we celebrated last Sunday night. Many of you will not be able to be here because of jobs or you were on vacation or whatever, but we had 34 people baptized in water last Sunday night. Can you stand to your feet and give the Lord praise and honor them and rejoice with them and celebrate with them? There are family that's been brought into the kingdom. Hallelujah. We praise the Lord for that. Hallelujah. Don't tell me my God ain't doing something. Can I have an amen? Hallelujah. You may be seated. I, I also want to express again, and I know it's been on the, uh, the, the announcements and all of that, but not, not wanting to be a, a broken record, but we want to continually keep it before you. A real men's rallies coming up on the 19th and the 20th of this month, just a couple of weeks away. You men, get out and get some tickets and get out and sell them to your friends. I tell you, I believe this is going to be one of the greatest real men rallies that we've ever experienced. We got one of the greatest preachers that's coming in. Brother Shea, you from Arizona, you're going to really enjoy him. Uh, those of you that's not heard him, most of you all know Shay, and Shay can bring the house down. And not only that, it's just a, a good time for men to connect. And men can respond when all of their hindrances is gone, when their wives and their children ain't around, and they're in their environment, and they're with their own kind. You know what I'm talking about. They're in their own tribe. And it's like the women getting together and letting their hair down. Well, us men get together, and we also, I don't know a term to use, I guess we let our hair down, amen? And we let down our guards and we're able to identify with one another and we rub shoulders with one another. It's not just going to be a great time of ministry and the word and in prayer and, and around the altars, but there's going to be a lot of fun time on Saturday. And I want to tell you, Brother Randy West is going to bring an explosive word on Saturday morning, our very own. Can you give him a hand clap of praise? And I know you're excited. When you, God's going to give him an overload like he 
he's never had before. I believe that with all of my heart. He's a great preacher and he's birthed this thing and it's in his heart. You'll never get a truer preacher that's going to preach with desire and compassion to see people blessed and to see men healed and strengthened and uplifted and saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Spirit. So come out for Real Men's Rally. It's going to be tremendous. Women, you force your husband to go. Come on, y'all do everything else getting us to what we want to do. I don't want to do. So if he don't want to go, you just kind of force him to go. You're going to go, big boy. And uh, you women help us out here this morning. Hallelujah. Uh, let's look at our text. Our, as we get into our text, we want to get right into the word of the Lord. You know, over the past 36 years in pastoring this great church and shepherding this wonderful flock, this wonderful congregation, there have been many challenging times. There have been times that we have stood against unsurmountable odds, which, which look, too great to be overcome at times even. We st when staring at the circumstances, there have been times, I will admit, that it seemed that we were being outnumbered, outsmarted, and even outwitted by our enemy. The enemy is very clever. He's very cunning in his scheming. He's in, in his plotting, setting snares, and, and unleashing his wrath against us. He's very good at what he does, the enemy. The devil is a master deceiver, and when it comes to a worldview, the overview of his tactics have been very effective in many places. Uh, he, has, uh, he has had greater ingenuity over his opponents uh, than what most of us want to believe or what most of us will even admit. Uh, we have seen churches split, believers backslide, families separate, people torn apart, people afflicted. Come on, you've seen it and I've seen it. Let's be real. Let's be true. That's where we're living. Uh, there have been times the enemy has even touched certain people in our congregation and he's reached right within our own territory and he's made havoc in certain areas over people's lives for years. We have certainly not been untouched by him and we have had our, our share of trials and troubles and afflictions and tribulations. Looking back over the years of 36 years, 37 years, I can honestly say that we have not escaped from being scathed by our enemy. In our history, there's been times that we've experienced harm and injury and even damage at times. Many, many times I've had to do damage control as a pastor. There's been times that I've even been afflicted. There's been times I've even been hindered. There's been times that I've been shoved around. Even as your shepherd, as your leader. As Paul said it best, there were times that he was even buffeted and he was even hindered by Satan himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting with verse 10, Paul said, we are fools for Christ's sake, but we are wise in Christ. We are weak, but yet we are strong. Ye are honorable, but you are despised by the world. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and we're naked and we are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor working with our own hands being reviled we bless being persecuted we suffer through it being defamed we entreat we are made as the filth of this world and are the offscourging of the things under this day the word buffeted here that he uses in this scripture it makes me feel a little better because I understand and can identify with what Paul is saying but the word buffeted means to be battered, to be knocked off course, afflicted, harmed, facing misfortunes over a long period of time. And if we would really be honest, there has been times that all of us have been knocked off course. We've lost our vision at times. We've lost focus on our purpose. We've lost focus in who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. There were times in our past that our zeal became dim, our passion grew cold, and our strength became very, very weak. Does, can anybody 
identify with what I'm saying here today. Isn't that not truth? We don't want to really realize it. We don't want to really think about it. We don't want to admit it. We think we're giving the devil credit, in which we're not. It's just plain old truth. There were times that just simply we were attacked. There were times that we were battle-torn. We fought. And let me be honest, there were times when we weren't on the top of our game, and we missed the mark, and we lost opportunities. Yes, there have been moments of weakness. There's been moments of misfortunes, and there's been moments of darkness and weakness and frailty. However, it was Paul that said it best. He said, in the midst of it all, when we were revived, you know what we done? We blessed. When we were persecuted, we suffered through it. We, we held in. We didn't cave. We didn't run. We held our ground. We didn't fall apart. In our weakness, yet we were made strong. There was an unseen, undetected, unknown hand elevating and lifting us up and protecting us. We were like Peter in the time of trial when we were tempted to leave Jesus. We just simply said, well, where else do we get to, got to go? You and you only have the words to eternal life. Paul put it this way. I'm about to preach because I know where I'm going. And this last song about turning my, my, my spirit upside down because everything that song says is what this message is about. But Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 through 10. He said, we are troubled on every side. Have you ever felt that way? Troubled on every side. You look to the north, you look to the south, you eat to the west, east and west, trouble, 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 trouble. You look up, trouble. You look down, trouble. You look inward, trouble. You look outward, trouble. You rise up in trouble. You lay down in trouble. Trouble on every side. And he said, but yet we're not dis we're not distressed. You know what that word distress means? We're not suffering from anxiety. We're not, we're not, we don't have anxiety over this. We are perplexed, completely baffled. That's what that means. We don't understand. Paul said, I'm completely baffled. I don't understand what's going on, but I'm not in despair, which means we're not completely absent of the loss of hope. We still have hope. Hallelujah. The battle is raging, but we're standing our ground. We're not full of anxiety. We are not here with no hope. We still have hope. He said, we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're cast down, but we're not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal body. Oh my goodness, I could preach on that passage of scripture right there. All I can say to this congregation that's been battle torn and has fought over the years and been faithful with me and has been hindered and buffeted in our past, we're still here. We're still standing. We're still surviving. We're still moving forward. We haven't stopped. We haven't quit. We've not turned around. We're still going. We're still going forward and we're still growing. And even though we haven't escaped from being scathed by our enemy, we have had some casualties and we've had some sad times and we've had some sorrow in our times past, but yet we're still here and we have not lost hope. Can you stand to your feet and give God praise? We've not abandoned him. <laughs> Hallelujah. The devil's a liar. Oh, I'm about to preach to you here this morning. I feel it in my spirit. I stand here before you even afflicted, but I'm gonna preach the word of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I like it when Paul used the word perplexed in that passage of scripture. The word perplexed again means completely baffled. It carries, it carries with it the idea of not fully understanding or being in the dark. Have you ever been there before? In the dark, not understanding, clueless? 
I have. Our text is where Jesus is feeding the multitude. He feeds 5,000 men, not counting women and children. What a powerful chapter. What a powerful move of God. What a powerful miracle. But if we're not careful, all we'll see is the miracle and the blessing and the provision and not really see what Christ is fully revealing to us about what actually transpired during that day. If you will look prior to the story, you'll find that the disciples were out by the seaside in Matthew chapter 13, along with a multitude of people sitting with Jesus. Wouldn't you like to just sit down with Jesus? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? They're sitting by the open seashore, beautiful and green grass, and everything's pleasant. They're outside of the city. Everything's going fine. And the Bible reveals to us that he taught them several parables, and we can mention them, that related to the kingdom of God. Here they are receiving instruction and enlightenment, understanding and revelation from Jesus. There's nothing better than feasting upon the word of the Lord. And here's Jesus expounding them, telling them the parables, giving them great insight. However, in a moment of time, things changed. And that's how life is. That life can change just like that. One minute you can be on the top of the mountain, the next minute you can roll all the way down in the valley. Can I have an amen? One minute you're walking in divine light, and the next minute you're feeling yourself around in the darkness. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It doesn't, it isn't always a long period of time to get you where sometimes things can change just like that. A phone call can change your life drastically. Can a, a doctor's report can change your life drastically. Come on, somebody here needs to understand what I'm preaching here. Somebody's gotten some bad news. Somebody's gotten a phone call. Somebody's gotten a doctor's report. And things change just like that. You were doing good and feeling good about your faith and oh, you were excited about Jesus. He's illuminating and enlightening you and blessing you. And all of a sudden you get a word and that word says this. And now all of a sudden you're faced with a reality and the natural that something bad is going on in your life. Can I have an amen? Things change. John the Baptist has been killed. The disciples go and bury his body and the next thing you see, all of a sudden Jesus changes course and he leads them into a desert place, just like that song said. The disciples don't understand, and they say, and if you'll look at the different gospels, I couldn't bring them all out, but one of the gospels revealed to us that they begin to complain, this is a desert. Man, why are you taking us from where you took us to where we're at? You're taking us into a desert place. This doesn't make sense. Why would Jesus lead them out into a desert place? It's dry, it's barren, it's an empty of provision and there's nothing out there but open space. You know why? Because it's creating a hunger in them. Because they begin to get hungry, the Bible says. Come on. In the world of understanding, faith has no place when all the facts are on the table. In reality, the fact is this place is barren and it's wasteful and it is of no use at all. Why would Jesus take us there? However, even though the facts say contrary, yet faith says don't leave this place because something's up. It's not over till it's over. It's not done till it's done. Come on, somebody. To be honest, in, the, in this journey that we have left, out there in our distance as a church, out there in our future, there will be many challenges and all things will be understood. Just like in our past, there will be times that we find ourselves in the dark, clueless, empty of vision, just like we've experienced in the years past. But just because we experience those things has not stopped us from being where we're at right here today. And can I tell you, just because we will face those things again, it still will not stop us to where we're going. 
Come on, somebody. This ain't the first time you've been in the dark. This ain't the first time you've been in a desert. This ain't the first time you've been clueless. If you'll look back, isn't it odd that when we start going through something, it's always the worst thing we've ever been through in our life? I've never been this way before. And if we'll look back in our past, we've been in similar places and even worse places than we are right now. And if God brought us through in our past, don't you think he's got a plan to bring us through in our future? Can I have an amen? He is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He'll never leave us, nor will he ever forsake us. Faith, there will be times we find ourselves in the dark and clueless, empty of our vision like we have in our past. Faith only comes into play when we deal with the unknown. We don't always walk in activated faith. Faith is activated until it's challenged. Can I have an amen? To always, say, to always stay in the understanding may cause us to miss out on the miraculous. Did you hear what I said? This is a key word to this message. To always stay in the understanding of what's going on will cause us to many times to miss out on the miraculous. Faith pleases God. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 11 and 6, but without faith it's impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Our understanding is a good thing, but the bigger and the greater picture is always hidden in faith. It's found in the unseen by believing. Hebrews 11 and 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidences of things not seen. If we can only believe that which is naturally and completely reasonable from a scientific or empirical viewpoint, then we are not operating in true biblical faith. The problem with the church world today is that we want a rational faith, one that's intellectually defensible in the face of driven skepticism. And we don't want to be viewed as weird, gullible people referred to as a bunch of fanatics. We have to justify and give an answer for the reason of the supernatural. Things supernaturally happens that cannot be explained. When it happens in the church, when skepticism comes, the church wants to make excuses for what took place. Stop that. It is what it is. It's supernatural. Can I have an amen? It's like the blind man that was born blind in John chapter 9, I believe it is. And the Bible tells us that Jesus reached out and made clay, spit in the ground, made clay, stuck in his eye, told him to go worse, and he went and worse, and he was made whole. And all of a sudden, all the Pharisees and all the religious bump begin to question him about this man, Jesus, and how he healed him and all this stuff. Couldn't get nothing out of him. Went to his parents and began to interrogate them. And they finally said, well, look, he was the one healed. Go back and ask him. And they went and said, this man, Jesus, is he a prophet? How, what authority by which did he do this? And that man said, I don't know. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. That's all I know about it. He didn't try to give them an answer and try to reason it out and give an understanding of what I'm, I'm believing that God's about to do supernatural occurrences in our congregation that's unexplainable. It'll go against the natural. It'll go against national reasoning. It's past understanding. Are you ready for that miracle? You in the dark, you that's in them unbelievable places, get ready. God's about to perform a miracle in the middle of your desert. Can I have an Amen. And like the blind men, we have to philosophically explain our faith, and it has to have some bounds of the rational to it. When we do this, we make limited and conditional room in our lives for that which is miraculous. We, as the people of God, must be open to the fact that we cannot possibly have the ability to perceive the measure of all reality and what the supernatural can accomplish by human understanding. It's impossible. The place of darkness and the unknown is not a place of failure. It's a place of an awaiting miracle. 
Did you hear what I said? Some of you are going through things and you just don't understand. It has just completely rocked your world. And it's been hard, yes, and you have suffered. You have been buffeted. Even Paul, when he was going to Rome, you know what happened? He was knocked off course. The wind came, destroyed the ship, ended on the island of Melita, and the serpent bit, and all kinds of things was happening. Even the people there at one time wanted to worship him as a god. The next minute, they're wanting to stone him and kill him. Yes, there's times that things happen. We don't understand. We don't understand everything that's taking place. But I want you to see, hear this again. The place of darkness and the unknown, unknown is not a place of failure like the enemy would make you think. You would say you'd, he'll, in that time of darkness, he'll accuse, he'll battle, he'll give you false condemnation, he'll lie, he'll call you every name under the book, make you feel about that tall, make you feel less than a Christian, make you feel like you've lost your faith and everything else. But I want to tell you, in the place of darkness, and in the place of the unknown. It's not a place of failure. It's a place of an awaiting miracle. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to be shouting right now. For us to settle for the known is nothing more than preparing ourselves for nothing at all new. Miracles and supernatural cannot happen if we never put ourselves in the position of needing a miracle. In order for us to please God, he will always ask us to come after him, to follow him, to deny ourselves, which will take great faith. I want to tell you, you will not follow Jesus if you don't deny yourself because where he leads, you won't like a lot of times. He's led me in some places I didn't want to go. He's made me do some things I didn't want to do. Come on, is everybody with me? Everybody says, oh, get saved. It's just a bowl of cherries. No, sometimes it's the pitch. Sometimes you have to move when you don't understand. Sometimes you have to go when you don't see the picture of why you're going. Come on. Abraham, the Bible says, went out not knowing where he was going, but he just went. He just stepped out. I don't know where I'm going. Come on. But he went. God said, go. He said, okay. He didn't have to understand where he was going. But God gave him a solemn promise. Everywhere you go, the soles of your feet, he's going to be blessed. Amen. Can I have an Amen. Miracles in the supernatural cannot happen if we never put ourselves in the position of needing a miracle. And for, in order for us to please God, then he will always ask us to come after him, to follow him, to deny him, especially when he's leading us into places that we don't understand. Our flesh most, mostly craves comfort, but in comfort, we may lose our creativity. The disciples are upset. They're complaining. They're in the middle of a desert place. They don't understand why that they're there. They get caught up in the practical and they are operating in the natural and they are embracing that which is logical and understandable through the lens of reality. They're saying, man, this is a dry place. This is a bad place. There ain't nothing out here. Come on. It's like you moving to Dudley. Ain't nothing there. When we read about all the faith giants and they are listed in Hebrews chapter 11, they are considered the faith giants because they went after the Lord and they followed him by faith even when life did not make no sense. That's what that whole chapter's about. Our journey in this life is always about a faith walk. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 7, what does he say? For we walk by and not by. That's right, say it again. We walk by and not by. When are we going to start obeying that? Oh, that's one of the most quoted scriptures and yet one of the most abused because that's the least lived scripture that there is. To walk by faith doesn't imply that one has to, un, has to be unintelligent, sheltered, and aloof of truth. Most people of faith are viewed as ignorant and unlearned people. Isn't that what they said about the people in the book of Acts? 
These people are unlearned and people and ignorant people and they're turning our world upside down. Amen. But faith grasps that man cannot be intelligent enough to act and to perform as God and that God has passed all understanding. The disciples want Jesus to see reality. Have you ever wanted God to see reality in your life? God, pay attention to what's going on down here. Man, I must live a bad life because I've said that a thousand times. Hey, woohoo! <laughs> Have you been noticing what's going on down here, Lord? Do you not see reality? Come on, have you ever felt that way? Some of you are there right now in the dark, clueless of what's going on. Oh, two weeks ago you were shouting in the church and all of a sudden, boom, something happened, something changed. You have led, here's what they're saying, you have led us out here and we're hungry and there's nothing to eat. In other words, this is all your fault. They're blaming God for their set of circumstances. How many of you gotten mad at God for the circumstances that's happened in your life that's been bad? This is all your fault, God. You could have taken care of it if you would have taken care of it. You have control. Why don't you do something? And we get angry at God instead of the devil who's created everything in the first place. It don't make sense. And yet we Christians are so gullible to believe that God has abandoned us and that God has mistreated us and that somehow God has forgotten where we're at. I want to tell you, he's an all-seeing God. He knows right where we're at. He's done giving us blessed and assurance promises. He didn't, has not failed us in our past and he's not going to fail us in our future. They say, why don't you send the multitude away? They're hungry. They've been here all day so that they can buy themselves food. You know what they're ready to do because of circumstances? They're ready to disperse the church before the miracle ever comes. Miracle ain't come. Let's just get rid of these people. Well, why? That which I wanted to do ain't completely done through them. We don't need to dismiss yet. How many times have we left church on a Sunday night or a Sunday morning and we didn't give God time enough to do what he wanted to do and we walked out on him because we're ready to disperse because of reality. Hey, it's past 12. Hey, I got lunch. I got a roast in the crocker. Hey, I got a meeting with so-and-so. Come on. And the sovereignty of God is wanting to move in an unstrange way and we walk out on him and we literally miss the move of God because we're walking in the realms of reality instead of the realms of faith. Oh, God, help me. I'm preaching this morning. Woo! Now, what I don't understand is when Jesus got to this, when he got in the ship to sail over to this desert place with his disciples, the Bible says that all these multitudes that were over there with him on by the seashore, they, they followed him. Oh, man, they're crowding in like crazy. And the Bible says that when he got over there and he seen them, he had compassion upon them. And what did he begin to do? He went, about, he went around beginning to heal them. All of a sudden, miracles begin to take place. Miracles in dry places, is that even possible? I said, miracle in dry places, is that even possible? Miracles don't have to happen in the church. They can ha happen in the most unusual places. Come on, somebody. They can happen when you least expect it. They can happen when you're not even looking for them. Come on, somebody. Oh, hallelujah. My brother Kevin was healed of brain cancer and never even knew it, and nothing else had changed in the life. I don't understand that, but I, I got up before this congregation and said, God's going to visit my brother today. And when I called him that night, I said, hey, anything strange take place? Nope. Called him on Monday, nothing on Tuesday, nothing. He went to the doctor on Wednesday and came back completely free of cancer, stage four cancer of the brain. 
And to this day, he never felt or experienced a thing. It just happened. Can I have an amen? Don't make sense. What really don't make sense is he had surgery five years prior to that that messed him up a little bit. He's got some problems, but yet he still got those problems, but God healed the cancer. I'm ready for God to heal the problems in his life, to set him and make him whole. But the, 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 these disciples see healing, but they cannot believe in provision. Isn't it odd how that God gives us all kinds of nudges, how that God gives us all kinds of blessings, and yet God will bless in one way, but we can't believe that he'll bless to a greater measure? That just don't make sense to me. Here they are seeing miracles, but now they're griping about there's no provision. Amen? Notice when the disciples asked us in the multitude away, the Bible says, they say the time is for past. It's even time. These people are hungry. Should they go into the city and buy food? In other words, they have been out here all day long and you've done nothing yet. Aren't you glad that delays are not denials? Oh, thank God for that. Sometimes, what did the word buffet mean? To be in a place of, of havoc or whatever for a long period of time. Just because you've been where you're at for a long period of time does not mean that God ain't gonna move on your behalf. Ask the man that sat for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. Ask the woman that had an issue of blood for 12 years. Ask the man that laid at the gate called Beautiful all of those years and Jesus went by that temple day after day after day after day and never healed him. But later on, Peter and John comes by and looks at him and fashions their eyes upon him, says, silver and gold have none, but such as I have I give unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk! And he got up and walked and went in the temple leaping and praising God. No matter how long you've had it. Well, I've had this condition for 15 years and God ain't done nothing yet. That don't mean he's not going to. Well, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. Well, I want you to know your dark place and your lack of understanding is a place of an awaited miracle. Hang in there. Don't quit. Don't cave in. Don't stop. Keep battling. Keep fighting. Isn't it odd that through the Bible, the midnight hour is always an earmark to faith? Isn't that strange? It was the fourth watch of the night that he came walking on the water to his disciples in the boat in the midst of the storm, which is the last watch of the night. They, they, and folks, they've been up 48 hours if you'll study that and with no sleep and they're battling and they're crying and they're scared. And it, Jesus waited till the fourth watch. That's early morning. Why did he do that for? I don't know. He was four days late is what Martha and Mary said. If you'd been here four days early, my brother would have lived. You're late, boy. And that Paul and Silas, they weren't delivered till the midnight hour in the midst of their prison. You go on and on and on. Here is the multitude, and it's late evening, and there's no sign of supper being prepared. There's no pots, there's no pans, there's no smoke, there's no campfire, there's no delivery truck. John Sales is not coming with the ice cream truck. Ding, ling, 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 ling. That drives me nuts, that's that little boom. Amen. There's no food cart. There's no menus. No sign or visible evidence that there's food anywhere around. And just because there's no sign of anything around don't mean it ain't there. Why? Because Jesus is sitting there and he said, I'm the bread of life. <laughs> oh, Lord, I love this preaching. I love to preach. Amen. But we see here there's no sign of supper at all, but upon the disciples' inquiry, Jesus responds to them and says something very peculiar. Feed them. Do what? Feed them. 
This tells me that there's provision there that they didn't see. Open your eyes in the midst of your darkness because provision awaits you. It's there. He's never put you in a place that you can't handle. He'll never put you in a position that you can't overcome. Come on. The inheritability of God goes with you. Always. And your God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's settled. It's done. So why are you fearful of the lack that you all have right now? Don't be fearful of the lack that's going on in your life. Your God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. David said, I've been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor see begging bread. Come on, saints. Let's quit fretting and worrying and wringing our hands and falling apart at every little wind of adversity and every sense of bad, I got all kinds of bad news coming in, but I'm trying to live out in faith and understand my miracle awaits me and in the middle of my desert, my provision's coming. Can I have an amen? Jesus just simply says, they need not to depart. Give them to eat. Verse 17, the disciples say to them, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. In other words, there's not enough to feed them. That's reality. Come on, they say that them fish were about the size of sardines and they have just a few fish and a few loaves. Folks, I could eat that by myself. Can I have an Amen put a little mustard on them sardines and baby, give me some crackers and we can have us a, a good time, amen? And then he says in verse 19, we'll bring them to me. And that's the key to everything. Our problems need to be brought to Jesus. The money of you are walking around, you've never even took time to pray about your dilemma. You just want to murmur about it, complain about it, cast blame to God about it. But the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. And whosoever cometh to him, he will in no wise cast out. That God's willing and ready to listen to your complaint and, and listen to your petition. If there's one thing that is spelled out all through the scripture, that is Jesus loves it when we come after him in faith. And even though they could not figure out everything that was happening and what was actually going on and what God was up to, even though they couldn't picture the miracle that was about to unfold, yet it was the disciples' faith that caused this miracle to happen. You say, no, it wasn't because you just said they, they, they were operating in the natural, the physical, and being controlled by what really appeared to be reality. Well, they were. And many of you and I are doing that, but that don't cancel out the real faith that's deep down inside of us. Oh, aren't you glad of that? Come on, guys. We have all been like the disciples. And if we were the type of people that never questioned or never messed up, and, and that's what it took in order to have a miracle, we're all in trouble. We're all in trouble if that's what it took. Well, what did it take? Huh. Just, you know, common sense, they said to him, in reality, they're, you know, they're, they're speaking doubt. They're saying, hey, man, there's not enough food here to, to, to feed them. That's common sense. That's reality. However, when Jesus said, bring me what you have, they obeyed. And their obedience was a sign and an expression of their faith. In other words, we don't understand. We don't have it all together. We think you're crazy. Come on. You don't always have to understand, but you do always have to move and to participate. Are you listening to me? You don't always have to understand God, but you do have to move with God and you have to participate with God in order to get your miracle. 
Here they are, all misunderstood. They're grappling, they're claiming, they're full of doubt and speaking reality and they're trying to move in common sense and Jesus just says, uh-uh, boys, just bring them to me. And the Bible says, they done it. They obeyed. They brought them to him. We don't always have to see the big picture. We don't always have to have it all figured out. Faith doesn't always have to understand every detail. Are you listening to me? We put too much on ourselves. Just like Mary at the wedding of Canaan to Galilee when Jesus, uh, when, when, they run, when they ran out of wine and Jesus turned water into wine, she tells him the problem. She says, men, they're out of wine. And then he, she says to the people, whatever he says, do, do it. She comes up to Jesus, her own son, hey, they're out of wine, fix it. Goes to the people around him and says, you just do whatever he tells you to do. She didn't know how he was going to do it. She didn't have a picture in her mind of what was going to happen. She didn't understand how that he was going to come through, but she just believed that he would do it somehow. Somehow he's just going, I'm just going to leave it up to him. I'm not going to tell him how to do it. I'm not going to have a preconceived idea. I'm not going to sit around and have it boxed and packaged in my mind if you don't move in this kind of a way. Most of us in Pentecost, we miss up because we want to be healed the same way we're healed in 1956. We want the Holy Ghost to fall like he did in 1980. Come on. She believed when she even seen that she was denied by him. You know what he said? Woman, what have I to do the way? My time ain't yet. Well, it ain't time for me to do miracles. She said, I don't care. I'm your mother. Do it. That's what that's saying. And you know what? He done it. Amen. Mama's got pool. Amen. When mama tells you to do something, you do it. And here he is. He does it on the basis of his own mother's faith. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't care that it's not your time. These people are in trouble. And you, you're with me. Not fix it. And he fixes it. Amen. She believed, even though she had never seen him perform a miracle before, because him turning water into wine was his first miracle. She had never seen him perform. What caused that faith to arise? She knew her son. She had a relationship with her son. She had been through a series of training, and she knows what she's seen when he's at the age of 12, when he was left behind at the temple, and how he, how he taught the word of God to the scribes and the Pharisees, and they marveled. Come on, she had seen, she knew in her spirit by this time, this boy's an unusual character. This ain't the, I've housed the son of God here. Amen. And upon this, she said, now you're the son of God. It's time for you to start showing up. Do it. And he done it. We don't have to understand everything. All we have to do is be in a relationship with him to where we can hear his voice when he speaks and then we have to obey. It's that simple. Amen, just the old song that we used to sing, oh, just trust and obey. There is no other way. I wish I could remember the rest of that. That's a good song. Oh, I got, it's right there at the tip of my tongue, but I better not start singing, you'll leave on me. Faith is something all of us have. As a matter of fact, he has given to all of us a measure of faith. God's given you a measure, me a measure, all of us, and that measure of faith is everything we need to know him in the fullness of who we are. It's time that we use our faith. It's ours. It's given to us. We have to realize that in the measure of faith that God has given us is where our miracle lies. Amen? If we have to allow our faith to get us, we have to allow our faith to get us and position us to where we need to be to receive our miracle. Their faith and following him got them into the desert to where they could not, where they could see the miracle that he had set up for them. It was their faith. They followed him. 
If they hadn't followed him, they'd never seen it. If they had followed a four off and if they had not been obedient, they would have never seen the miracle. They would have missed it altogether. And a lot of times we have suffered due to the loss of opportunity just because we're not following Christ closely. That's where the key is. It's about a relationship. I do my devotions every day regardless if I feel God or not. Every day I read the word of God. Every day I pray. Every day, every day, sometimes multiple times a day. Why? I got, I got to be close to him. I don't always hear him. I don't always feel him. But I know one thing, if I stay close to him when he speaks, I'll listen because his sheep know his voice. And a stranger, they want to follow. Amen? Faith makes me do something. Faith is not passive. Faith is a creative energy in us that causes us to go after what God has called us to do. Faith will take me where my understanding will never go. Did you hear that? Faith will take me where my understanding will never, never go. Many will not go through the sufferings of the desert in order to receive the miracle. I'm not going to that desert. I'll stay over here. I'm not going to get in a boat and follow him over there. That's a desert place. Sometimes you find yourself open your eyes, you're there, and you didn't even know how you got there. You just followed him because your eyes were fastened upon him, and that's the way it needs to be. Your eyes need to be so fastened upon him, you don't even know that you got an opportunity not to obey him. You're just following him. Wherever he goes, he, you go. When the cloud moves, you move. When it stops, you stop. Come on. Am I helping you here today? You know, but a lot of them don't want to go through the suffering in order to get to the blessing. And it's just like, did you know Moses was the one of the greatest, I know David is called the great shepherd, Psalms 23. But Moses is one of the greatest shepherds that there ever was. How do I know that? Because he took Jethro's flock, and the Bible says that he took the sheep on the backside of the desert. You know what that means? That all these other people that were unwilling to go through the hot desert sun and take his sheep through the hot desert trial to get them over to the other feeding grounds, then they just sit on this side because they were afraid of the, of the temptation, the trials that they go through in the desert. They missed out on the best feeding grounds because on this side of the desert, oh, everybody's got their sheep. And the sheep has overgrazed the, the meadows and they're full of parasites and, 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 and the grass is near. But it's not good grass. It's, it's not good feeding grounds. But Moses says, I'm going to take them where no one else has took them before. I'm going to take them to a better feeding ground. But in order to get there, i got to take them through a desert. And what God is doing, every time he puts you in a desert place, woo, watch out because you're going to come out on the other side in a better feeding ground than you've ever been in your life. Amen? When you're in a desert place, say, whoo, not only am I going to get a miracle, wait till I see what's on the other side. Oh, wow. It may be good where you come from, but I want to tell you it's not near as great as where you're going. Can I have an amen to that? Why sit on this side of Canaan and like, like the two and a half tribes did wanted to when there is a land that flows with milk and honey on the other side? Can I have an Amen. To understand all the time can be a sign that we have not stepped out lately. If we're always just understanding and we're not going to move out of the realm of understanding, then you know what? We're not going to receive much from God. Understanding our condition is fine, but faith will get us to him, get to him and do things that's impossible that man in his own self cannot do. The disciples understood where they were, but they still had enough faith to hang in there. 
They didn't understand why they were there, but they had enough faith to hang in. They didn't leave. They didn't quit following. They didn't quit obeying. They didn't do things in their way. They didn't start doing practical things. They trusted, they believed, and they stuck it out, yet they did not understand. They didn't understand what was going on. Now, they didn't go in their natural, they just spoke their natural reasoning. You know, come on now. They didn't say, well, y'all can do whatever you want to do, but I'm going to go to town and get me something to eat. I don't know how many times I've been out fishing and hungry and the guys just kept wanting to fish. Guys, I want to tell you something. McDonald's is calling me. I'm going whether you're going to go or not. And that could have been, that could have been their attitude, but it wasn't. Jesus says to give him the stuff and he'll take care of it. Well, let's just see what happens. Faith is our best friend. And let me tell you something. Understanding will make you comfortable. It will also kill you. There's times we have to go through the thick darkness, the unknown, the unfamiliar places. We have to truly go after Jesus Christ, following him. Wisdom is great and it will always be a great asset to the natural, but there are times that faith will push all other aside, push towards something that no one else around us will ever understand. That this, is to ha- this happened to us uh, years, uh, 16 years ago when God began to stir my, my heart over on Ninth and Cedar. Now, there's many different levels that we went through, and with each new level, there were different problems, and there were different attacks. And folks, 36 years, I could get up here and tell you all through our journey of all the things that we went through, and you think, well, how are you standing? How you possibly been able to make it? Don't make sense. Come on. How are you where you're at today with everything that took place, with everything that was against you? Folks, there was a lot of opposition against us. For 36 years, we battled it. Ups, downs, ins, outs, curveballs thrown at us. Come on. One trial, one temptation right after another. I've seen over 600 people buried. I've done that many funerals myself. I buried a whole church. We've mourned, we've cried, we've wept, we've not understood. Been hard. All of them wasn't old people. Some of them were young people. Some of them were, had full of life. You don't understand. Things happen, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of nowhere, we have a vision, and God changes that vision. And he tells us to buy this property and build a $3.7 million palace. I want to tell you, everybody did not buy into the vision. Everybody didn't come with us. Some of them thought that pastor has lost his mind, been debt-free for 20 years, and now we're going $3.7 million in debt. Now, that may not mean a lot to you, but somebody that's accountable for all that, that's rough. Stepping out on nothing. Come on. I remember when we first built on in 1990, had $13,000 in the bank. I asked Chuck Lambert. I said, Chuck, Chuck's kind of a a carpenter, does, does a lot of carpenter work. And I said, what would it take in supplies if I had the men of the church do it? What would it take to haul this building that we're wanting to do, a 36 by 36, two stories on the back end of the church. And he said, well, he figured it up. He said, I think it'll take about $13,000. And I said, well, that's all we got in the bank. And by faith, I felt the Lord say, start it. And we started it. And we started working us men. And men started coming in. When we got done, Chuck said, how much we got left? And I said, $13,000. Come on, somebody. We had to walk in the dark. We had to step out on faith. And now God says, and that was a 
Oh, a horrible undertaking. Our tithes is only, uh, 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 when, when we first started there, about $13.50 a, a month. It's hard. Or a week, I mean. And, and, and that was a big undertaking. But now, you know, we got three or $400,000 in the bank. We're doing well and we're growing. And God says, uh, I want to stretch your territory. I want you to go build a palace on, out on Herschel Best Boulevard. And it was there that he caused us to build a $3.7 million thing. And here we are! I'll get done when I get done. There are movements and moments of faith that we will make that you'll go into situations that may look outrageous to others, even to yourself at times. You know, so much of the time, people look at you and say, man, what a man of faith. And most of those men of faith don't know what they're doing. They're clueless. People's asked me, what's your strategy of ministry back in the day when the church was just growing like leaps and bounds? What's your strategy? What's your statement of purpose? What's your, I have no idea. All I know is God told me to go there and I went. God told me to preach, I'm preaching. God told me to do what all I need to do and that's what I'm doing. Come on. If we're not careful, we'll so define our ministries that we will only operate in the definement of the, in the, in the confinements of that definement. And we won't be able to get outside of our walls because we don't want to break any kind of concept of what we think that ministry was put into position to do in the first place. I'm here to tell you, I give every one of you the, the, the freedom to have created an ability, step out, and when the Spirit says do something, do it! Can I have an amen? Somebody ought to praise the Lord there. But God calls us to do something crazy, but I want to tell you, the same faith that God us here is the same faith that saves us. The faith in us will grab what is ours and with no questions asked, it will, get, it will get what belongs to us and the understanding will come afterwards. Listen to me. This is a revelation to you. Are you ready? Write this down. You don't always hear or you don't always have to understand it to receive it. Say it. You don't always have to understand it to receive it. So many people think they can't receive from God because they don't understand Take what you don't understand. When God moves, grab a hold of it, accept it by faith. Let all of us arise and let us go after what is ours. The next thing we see is Jesus performs the miracle. You know the story. I, I'm gonna have to get away from my notes a little bit here. He performs the miracle. He tell, they bring the food. He blesses it. He breaks it. Oh, don't you? What God can do when he blesses something. Oh, my goodness. He sets them, and one, one writer says he set them down in companies of 50s and 100s. And then he gave to the disciples, says, now go can distribute the food. They had 12 baskets. And they were going around, the, each disciple having a basket, giving them the food. And, the, and when all of them got the food and all of them ate and were full, Jesus said, what do you have? And he said, well, we have 12 baskets full. It's like nothing ever even went out of the basket. In other words, if there's anybody else that shows up, we still got enough. Hallelujah. There's plenty. There's an un, there is an overwealth of supply with God. His wells never run dry. And something else that he was doing, he was training his disciples for ministry. He used them in order to bring the blessing. And then the Bible says that he went to the multitude. I like this part. He went to the multitude. Excuse me. 
He went to the multitude. He settled them. I like that word. And then he blessed them and sent them away. And then he tells his disciples, you go over to the other side in the ship. Now, there's something I want you to understand that is very important. It's important who you hang around with. Because all of us are not on the same level. Some of us cannot go where some people are going because we're not on the level that they're at. And there is no going from level three to level eight. You gotta go from three, four, five, six, seven to get to eight. Can I have an amen? And here are these multitude that Jesus loves. He's got compassion. He settles them. In other words, you go back home. I'll deal with you later on your level, but you can't go where these disciples are going. Some people can help you get to where you're at, but they might not always go where you're going. Sometimes you have to change friendships. Sometimes you have to change relationships because if you stick around certain people, you'll be stuck in their mentality. When they refuse to go forward, you've got to be willing to get with people that's willing to take chances and be willing to take risk. And all of a sudden, he tells them, you go over to the other side and go before me. That's a, that's a key word. And all of a sudden, the disciples are fighting to go. How do I know? Because he says he constrained them. In other words, that word constrained meant that they put up an argument. They didn't want to go. Isn't it odd that they fought going into the desert and now the very thing they fought going into is the very thing they're fighting leaving? That's just like you and I. We buck, we kick, we cry. God pulls us by the hair. He does everything he can to get us into our destiny. And we see the miracles. And now we're unmovable. We're like a tree planted by rivers of living waters. We're like Peter on the Mount Transfiguration. It's good that we be here. Let's build us an altar and stay here. And God says, no, 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 no. You can't stay in one place too long. We're gonna go again. And they're saying, we don't wanna go. Now they're kicking and buffeting in and he constrains them and he forcefully commanded them, you're gonna go and guess what? Even though they bucked and they fought and they had problems, it's hard to cheer you up, but because they went and obeyed, it was still an expression of their faith. Sometimes I go, but I'm kicking and I'm screaming and I'm crying. I don't want to do it. Come on. It's like Ezekiel. I went, but I went in the bitter of my spirit, but the spirit of the Lord grabbed me by the head of the head and lifted me up and made me go. In other words, his compelling passion inside of me made me go. So the disciples, they go. Guess what happens? They're not out in the boat 10 minutes and boom, a storm rises. Ha. Huh. Now, I want to say two things here, and I had a whole message on this, and I'm going to have to cut it short. There are two types of storms. One of them is to the very beginning when they were going over there in the first place. Why did they go to the desert? If you'll study it out, John the Baptist had been killed. Great persecution was coming against Jesus and his disciples, and they left there to save their necks. Persecution drove them into the desert. God knows exactly what kind of storm to send your way to push you and compel you to go where you need to be. And if, you're un, if you are not happy where you're at, it's cause God's stirring your nest and he's causing you to go places that you wouldn't go otherwise cause you like to live a comfortable life. And you're not willing to go to the places that you don't understand and the places that's unfamiliar. Amen? And God's pushing you. But then after you get there, 
and you get refreshed with the feeding of the multitude, now it's time for you to go to ministry to go before the Lord. Jesus ain't with them in the boat. This time it's different. He's not there. Now I'd like to preach on that storm. There's a lot to preach on right there, but nevertheless, that ain't my message today. He gets out the storm and guess what happens? Jesus comes walking on the water and he restores them. But there's a difference in this storm. This storm is not pushing them into their destiny. It's trying to stop them from their destiny. So what's that telling you? Every one of us believers have storm coming and going. And the in-betweens is the feeding of the 5,000s and the walking on the, red, or on the sea. And those are our times of refreshing. And when we get refreshed, get ready because you're getting refreshed because on the other side's a storm. One of them may be pushing you into your destiny. The other one may keep you from trying to arrive to your destination. The enemy never stops. And I'm here to tell you what God spoke to me today. Kent Miller, this church has been through many, many, many levels. It has been through many, many trials. And with each new level is a new devil. And the hardships get harder and the trials get harder. It gets darker. But guess what? God's saying, I'm going to get more powerful and more radiant than you've ever seen me before. I'm going to start working my miracles. But in order for this to happen, your people's got to rise up in faith and quit trying to understand everything and rationalize everything and question everything. I am God. I will take care of you. I will go before you. And when the waters try to overtake you, I'll be there. When the fire tries to burn you, I'll be there. When you're thrown in the fiery furnace, I'll be there. When you're thrown in the light, I'll be there. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you to the bitter end. God has not planted us to fail. He's planted us to be great. So would you stand with me? 